Welcome to Startup Build, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm Mike Wolsfeld, our host is Dan Gold, and joining him today is Ian Meyer of Agromatics. And we believe that precision farming products should be easy and enjoyable to use and keep the business of farming about farming. We connect smartphones and tablets to ag equipment to provide simplicity and a modern approach to precision farming technology. And Alex Hayden. Innovation Enterprise is the commercialization office at the University of Saskatchewan. So we take anything that could be a product or service that comes from the knowledge research at the university and move it out to the world. In today's episode, we discuss the early stages of a tech startup and the role that universities and other support systems play in a startup ecosystem. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. If we just take it back to the beginning, when we're talking about the world of startups and, and going from day zero and concept or thinking about maybe a concept just at that embryonic stage and taking it from there. If I start with Alex, you see it from the support point of view. What are the most common questions people come to you with when they go, I need to do something. I've got an idea. How on earth do I go about this? What's the support structure that's there that needs to be uh, in place to make sure people have a fighting chance of succeeding? Yeah, so from our perspective at the university, usually the people that come in our, our doors with an idea will be faculty, staff, students of the university. Um, so they're always passionate, they're always excited about their idea, and some of the, you know, in terms of support that we offer, the common questions, the common things that we see, what do people need to, need to know, what we can provide is a bit of structure and advice around commercialization thinking. So can, can we characterize the idea at a basic level in terms of, you know, and we're going to talk sort of problem statement. What's the need that's out there? What's the approach you're thinking of taking? How is that different or better than what someone else is doing? So just kind of trying to crystallize that idea uh, so that we can get a sense of starting to apply some business thinking there because the services we're going to offer are going to be to help craft that idea into a commercial um, approach and take a look at whether there's intellectual property angles that need to be thought about, whether there's other sort of development steps required before we can even think about those things. And from your point of view, Ian, when you started from day dot in your project to where you've got now, how did you get into the first steps of the journey? So we, my business partner, Mike Lockerbie and I, we've worked in technology a long time and worked together. And we kept encountering sort of similar problems and developing new products. So we saw the introduction of the iPhone and the iPad as, as a way of really bringing the barrier down. And what I'm specifically talking about for problems was clunky and old fashioned kind of user experiences for industrial systems. So we saw these modern mobile devices and said, well, why can't we do that for, for these types of problems instead of the, these old-fashioned things that we kept reinventing? So we saw some enabling technology had been introduced, and we took the leap. And now neither of us have business backgrounds. We're both engineers and co uh, computer science backgrounds. So we, we needed coaching, and we... We were fortunate enough to, to work with Innovation Enterprise, uh, the ILO at the time, with one of, their, one of their business competitions, where as a big part of that program was some, some coaching and mentoring to help us understand things from a commercialization 
point of view, not just simply here's a technology and build it, but really what what are you doing with the technology? Because we we actually started with a pretty rough idea. We knew generally speaking what we could do, but the how to actually take that into a tangible thing that you can sell was was really uh, was really facilitated by participation in that program. So programs are clearly a key part of supporting people's journeys. From what I understand, there's lots of different programs out there. There's There's got to be a decision-making process over evaluating which one will most likely work for them. Now, you're talking, Alex, from the point of view of organizations that have started from uh, the University of Saskatchewan side. Mm -hmm. What about people who have got an idea, they're out there, they're thinking of creating a startup, they think they've got a brilliant idea, but they're not quite sure. There's other players out there in the market who might already nail it and should I bother? What can you say to them about going, okay, so here is a resource that you could use? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a key challenge. Um, and sometimes I think the challenge is that there's often so many resources that sometimes overlap, that sometimes bring similar value, and a person could spend a great deal of time going around and around kind of all of those stops. And so I think we, we talk about the formation and the growth of sort of an ecosystem and an entrepreneurial sort of support system and the challenge is, is finding the one that's the right fit for you. And when we talk, or we do talk right now a lot about the, the idea of sort of this entrepreneurial um, support ecosystem, and I think that the question you're posing, I mean, I could easily say, you know, go jump on Google. There's, there's a lot of organizations in Saskatoon and Saskatchewan that will support um, an entrepreneur with an idea who are looking for, for guidance. But I think the number one thing we tell people who are in that situation is um, you need to go and find your peers. You need to go and find the, the, the systems and the supports that are growing, that are out there, where there's people like you that have the same questions. Um, and that could be through any one of these kind of entrepreneurial organizations that, that are around in, in Saskatoon. And certainly that applies for people who are in different markets around North America and Australia and and the UK, there's certainly going to be support systems there, but making sure that they find the right one for them is going to be critically important. Yeah, and I think finding people who are who are one or two steps only, maybe even, ahead of them, right? You know, we, we talk about the importance of mentorship and learning from, from others who have been there, done that. Um, but that doesn't have to be somebody, you know, that doesn't have to be someone who's running their own company and jet-setting around. That can be somebody who's two or three steps ahead of where you are. And um, building that kind of a network, I think, is really important. What about you, Ian? How did you find that support piece? Well, first, I'd like to agree. I think it is valuable to, you know, there's some continuity. If you can work with people who are close to where you are, it, then it's easier for them to relate versus somebody who's, you know, been in it longer. It might be harder for them to remember the details. So I think that's great and get, it, get as much uh, exposure to as many different perspectives of, as you can. And I think when we started our business, we this was in 2012, and we were fortunate to have contact with a bunch of different groups, whether it was the ILO or Ideas Inc. Or there was there's a few different groups mm -hmm. that we that we just happened to meet just through networking, and you get their perspectives. And uh, you know, with with anything, 
and what you kind of, this brings it home more. When you start a business, you get all these opinions and, and feedback from all these people, and it's all, generally speaking, different. So you have to use this and decide, well, you know, I think it's great to get all this in, input because it's information you didn't have, and then at the end of the day, you have to decide what's right for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, what feedback are you gonna use? What feedback are you not? Because the feedback people provide you is always based on their experience and what worked for them in that particular situation at that time in those circumstances. And it doesn't mean it's gonna work for you, but you can't go in thinking that you know everything mm -hmm. because, because you don't. And uh, so, so I think it's, it's kind of a, a fun exercise in having to learn to deal with uncertainty and just kind of make the best of what little information you have. But ultimately, yeah, we found the, the community really supportive. There's a lot of groups to work with, and some of them kind of disappeared after, unfortunately, but I think there's been a, a resurgence of this. You know, Colabs has started up, and I think that's a great way to kind of build a common common place for, for not just research. So, so with uh, Innovation Enterprise, the kind of a, a place for researchers to commercialize their technology is great, but then Colabs being able to make that uh, support available to entrepreneurs as long as they're just in tech. And you know, there's, there's networks for companies that aren't in tech specifically too. So I think, long story short, we've had a great experience with the support network and I think it's just getting better since, since we started our business. Do you ever get people coming to you going, how did you do it? You know, lay out the roadmap for me. I want to avoid all of your pitfalls and just kind of leapfrog. You do mentorship. You do some mentorship, right, Ian? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm getting involved with that at Colabs. I'm I'm on the the board there. Yeah, I I guess so. I don't know if anyone's asked me specifically how do I start a business and what are all the mistakes you made that I can avoid. You know, it's a it's a good good question. But I think what I would say is I can tell you what I did, and what things I would do differently. Uh, and some of them will apply to what you're doing, and probably a lot of them wouldn't. Uh, although I think there are certain things, and especially speaking from an engineer's perspective, a lot of engineers like to come up with technology. Okay, here's this technology, uh, and look at all the cool things we can do. And that doesn't, and that's even what we started with, uh, and it doesn't really work that well. So I think that that can be applied to anyone. Okay, first of all, find a very specific problem that you want to solve and solve that. And yeah, you can do all these other things, but you have to do that. You have to be the best at one thing uh, or you're, you're going to get nowhere. Uh, and that's kind of what we learned through our, through our uh, participation in, in the Tech Venture Challenge, for instance. So, so that is a piece of feedback I would give. Uh, the other thing is, is uh, don't be afraid to, like, basically validate it. Don't go off in, in the basement and keep everything secret and build something, work away and work away at it based on all these assumptions that you have for, for what the, the end customer needs. Talk to them. And, mm -hmm. you know, people are worried about getting, getting their ideas uh, ripped off. But the fact is most people are not don't have enough confidence to execute on their own ideas, let alone someone else's who they, they don't even know. And, and really, you know, the idea, uh, the idea has to be good, but that is the easy part. You, it's the work, it's, it's the, the making it happen after. That, that's the, the key thing. So yeah, don't be afraid if there's competition out there, because if there is, it probably means that your 
you're moving somewhere that that there's some some interest if there's no one doing it maybe you're lucky and it's just totally greenfield and you're going to come up with the next huge thing but most likely it means that there's just there is no market for it yeah. so and, and there'll be a lot of people that uh get you know they're interested in a market but they just lose interest and just do your thing and and be aware of what the competition's doing but don't don't focus too much on it and be worried about the fact that you have to be the only one in the market. That's a really interesting question because I've had people say before, I've got an idea, I'd love to do this, but there's an incumbent in the marketplace already and they seem to be doing okay, so am I wasting my time? I think that that, that kind of question is one of the reasons that Again, I go back to how you really need to find your find a network to engage in, and maybe that is just you know some peers, something to bounce ideas off of. Because one of the the, the dangers here is exactly what Ian mentioned: is the is the concept that you have an idea that addresses something you think is a big problem, but it's very easy to fall into the the, the pitfall of not realizing that maybe it's only a problem that bothers you and it's a big problem for you but no one else cares right or maybe it's not a problem that you can identify who who owns that problem those are the things we ask whose problem is that right you know if it's if it's a general societal problem that has no real no one who's really responsible or who can put their teeth into it to to you know make that a commercial solution or to to want to access a commercial solution then these aren't problems or ideas that that are uh, that you can commercialize a product around right so plugging into that network like like Ian said developing the ability to say okay so that solution worked for you or here's a pitfall you saw um, when you guys were working on your on your ideas um, you need to hear that from Ian and from Ian number two and ten other Ian's so that you can you know start to understand um, how, how those things play together as, as an idea develops. When it comes to commercialization and helping people through the process, one of the largest questions a lot of people have is, how am I going to finance what I'm doing? There are a lot of options out there, but there are a lot of pitfalls to certain routes. Mm -hmm. So people can self-fund, have a small uh, group of investors, they can go to a, uh, a trust or a support network, you know, VC. How, how, would you, how, how would you spell out the options for people? And clearly some options work better than others for certain products or services. Financing, yeah, I'm not a financing expert. I'll say that right off the top. Um, I think you're right, early days, you know, when you have an idea and, and you're pressure testing that, you're, you're going through this, this uh, this process that Ian and I have been talking about, that, that's the stage where, yeah, you're really you're self-funding or you're turning to people close to you uh, to support that, right? And, and that is the time where something, it, it can be a very difficult time because you're probably doing something else full-time. You can't commit yourself to, to this idea as you explore it. Um, so, so getting through those really early ideation phases and being able to dedicate some of your time to, to what you're doing and seeking the funding required for that in, in a small micro way from an angel, from, again, friends or family sometimes. Those are the stages, I think, where, where we see a lot of people sort of 
falling out of, of the, the whole process and, and kind of going back to a day job, right? So there's, there's definitely, um, in any sort of ecosystem, there's a, there's a, a barrier there. To, to get past that stage where, where you can validate something and, and start to build the kind of metrics that you need to go to a more professional investor, right? A small, a micro VC or, or a larger angel network to, to get from the point where here's an idea, here's how I think it would work to, uh, as Ian said, looking at customers, looking at who, who are you gonna approach um, who would you who would you sell this to, and and being able to build the metrics you need um, to start looking for for bigger funding? That's that's a big challenge. Yeah. So another route to that, and Ian, you're a part of the Collabs ecosystem in in this sense. When it comes to incubators, how can they help with that side of it, bringing people in through that funnel, guiding them? Well, I think uh, like speaking to Collabs specifically, they they have align themselves around this model quite heavily. They've, they, like Jordan there, has made a, a big effort to get in contact with VCs across the country and, and outside the country even too, bringing them into events, getting them, getting them meeting all the, the cohort of, of collabs and figuring out, working with the companies on, on their pitch uh, too, so they understand how to communicate with investors and, and what you know, refine their message for for their ask. So I think it can help a lot because a pitch, and I know from our experiences in the the business competitions that you know it's it's a long process getting that rough idea into a concise deck that you can that, that you can use to communicate what you're trying to do and sell it to well customers or investors or, or whoever it is. And and I think that's a that's a big focus of the program. Um, for our company specifically, we haven't ever gone that route. You know, we we've kind of gone the bootstrap, uh, and it and you know you, you feel like it's a bit passe doing that kind of a thing. But you know that that's the 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 route we've chosen to do. And and you know I think if you do finance your business from your customers, it has the advantage of beyond the, the call it the the uh, equity advantage, but it, it keeps you honest. It, you know that your product is meeting the needs of the customer because they're they're buying it. So I think there is a trap that, that people can fall into where they get so focused on raising money that the, you know, A, it's a lot of time because it's a full-time job raising money, but you're not actually spending that time, you know, building a relationship with your customers. And, you know, the sooner you can get that feedback that, yes, what you're building is valuable to the end customer, the better. So I think... Certainly, there's different businesses that have different needs. Some need a huge amount of capital to get off the ground. Some, I think, need less. And I think that the, it's about putting together the right, right package for what you're trying to do. So don't raise more money than you need to. Don't raise less than you need to. But I, I, I think people need to be willing, willing to, I think, commit to it personally, too. And, and I think to, to Alex's point about people who do this kind of off the side of their desk, I know I tried to do that a lot, and ultimately for me, with my personality, it didn't work that well, because it's, it's, unless you're really, really, really disciplined that you can say, okay, I'm gonna spend this many hours every day working on this thing, uh, it, it's easy when you have a job to say, well, I have a job. If this thing doesn't work, at least I have a job. I think there's some value to, you know, you don't wanna take irresponsible risks, 
but having some amount of risk and pressure, I think, is good. You know, I think there's a story about Alexander the Great having his having his army sort of backed against a cliff, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, there's no option uh, then. And, and I, for for us, I think it worked well. You know, we we quit our jobs and we sort of we bootstrapped by doing consulting. So it's kind of like having a job in a way because you you know you're you're getting a paycheck, but you have that flexibility. But then using that to put it money into your own product, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it definitely gives you a lot of focus when you don't have a paycheck anymore and you have to build something and sell it, uh, versus you know getting a cash infusion and you you know knowing that okay we got runway for for X amount of time, but you know you got to make sure that at the end of that runway you 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 can keep going and so I think it's it's important at the in the programs to give people the right advice like yes you you can do this without raising money or no you're gonna just get killed because there's there's too much capital required for for this type of idea and you know I think it's important I can I can help people I think when it in the this the former circumstance where I think yeah you could bootstrap this thing uh, if it's something that requires you know millions of dollars of of equipment to, or if it's a, a biotech kind of thing you know those are going to be a lot more more intensive where there's years of research you know I, I think then that you need to be working with the right people as Alex said you know grow your network so that you are in contact with the right the right advisors to to help you in the business depending on what what kind of business it is so just looking at your journey of uh, the time it took from you from you deciding to give up full-time work go into that consulting space and then bootstrapping how long did that take to go from there to actually developing and launching your own product so we we started our business in October of 2012 we had some ideas but to start with we knew we had to do consulting to, to fund this I think six weeks before we got a contract for that uh, and then we started the development of our product of our technology in December uh, we decided what we were going to do. We, we pivoted a couple times. We were going to do an oil and gas product to start with, and then we decided to do ag in about April. And we had a product not a, well launched, but not exactly available in June uh, at the Farm Progress Show, and we we shipped our product in August. So, so that's about ten, nine, ten months kind of thing. From, from starting the business? I think that's fast. I think I think these guys are rock stars. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> to me, that sounds like a success story from, you know, just going through those iterations and hitting that, uh, hitting that stride in such a compressed timeline. Um, if there was one thing that you could do, again, in a different way, something that you would change during that period, is there anything you would change or were they all learning experiences? I think yeah I don't really have any regrets on how we did things in that in that first that first uh, phase. I think I would like, you know, that when you start the business you have nothing to lose, so it's pretty easy to focus all of your energy on selling this product and you're just laser focused cuz it's you, your backs against the cliff. Um as the business grows, uh, you know, I, I would like to to figure out how to keep this you know keep keep this elevated in the business because as the business grows it becomes more difficult to do that all the time because you have a, a business to keep running and it and it's hard to have that level of entrepreneurialism 
for new products. And so I guess my regrets are, are, you know, if I could do things any differently, I would have come up with a way to recreate that kind of, you know, that, 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 that accelerate urgency, urgency yeah. throughout the, the life of the business. Uh, and, and I think as a, as a founder and growing from a startup to, to a, a, a real grown up business, you have to figure out how to cultivate that in, in your people. And I, I would say that that's thing that, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to do, you know, I wish uh, we've had, we could have been doing this all along to, so it's like, well, I can't do that the second time, but we have people on the team who can take this new product and do the same thing, you know, treat it like it's its own little startup. But at the same time, you, you, I don't know that it's entirely practical to do it the same way, because if, if it had all gone wrong, well, we would have flamed out and that would have been the end of it. If you do this, but now that we're a company, we have a customer base, people know us, you know, we, we're in a niche, but we have a, a decent brand in our market. If we come up with a product that just is a complete flop, we have to think about what, what uh, impact that has on the business. So you, you naturally become more conservative as the, as the, the business grows, because there's more to risk, or more at risk, I should say, compared to the beginning, it's like, well, you have nothing left to lose. So if there's a huge, uh, and we, we're pretty thorough, or you know, and now I think that's really what hamstrings us is making keeping the quality because we're so concerned about quality, it, you just can't do things as fast. You know, I think you know there's this in Silicon Valley, there's this you know, break things, you know, move fast, break things kind of mentality, and we, you know, for us it's a bit tough to have that because you know in in agriculture people use our product for such a short time window and you know if we have a, a have a major a major bug that takes people down well that, that that's pretty serious it's not just a matter of well we'll we'll update it and then if in in a week they're back no that that's a big deal and it would ruin your ruin your reputation so long-winded way i'd say that the the what i would have liked to have figured out sooner than now is how to keep some of that or a, a good portion of that that uh, urgency in the business as as it matures, is there is there something about the uh, the way that Google work on their projects with the twenty percent? They're still rumored, or I, th I think they still do. How Google does spends the uh, a lot the twenty percent of the workers' time to innovating, whatever innovation may be to each individual person, because it is massively different to each person. Um, so, where Google have this allowance for twenty percent of any employee's time to go off and create and work on other things. Um, Google Docs came about, a Google Calendar came about as one of these side projects. Is there space within most startups, as they get to that stage of a more grown-up organization, to allow time, say 20%, 15%, on either building on the existing product or just going out and doing something different, trying something different, and start with a white label and, and just see if it floats? Is, the, is that realistic for smaller organizations, or are we looking at Google because they've got the scale and they can just go, yeah, well, it's 20%? I think, I think small organizations, depending on what we, what we define as a small organization, as you say, sort of a, you know, in a startup setting, um, it, it's two sides of, of a coin in my mind where innovation 
is innovation is such a thing right now where everybody's trying to figure out how can you, you know, how do you define that? How do you feed it? How do you fuel it? How do you create it and spark it? And yeah, is it spending 20% of your time, you know, in um, just creative work that is unrelated to work, those, those kind of, um, of examples. In, in a small startup setting, um, I think that the resources, as, as exactly as Ian's example um, illustrated, the resources needed to just make sure you're successful at, at the laser-focused thing that you're trying to do, um, I think can really distract from the idea that you can you know, spend time thinking outside of that box. However, can you do that? Maybe the question is, can you afford not to do that? Can you afford not to um, try to fuel some kind of creative, innovative um, activity and, and thinking in, in, your, in your organization for the very reasons, I mean, Ian already, already gave us the example for, for, those, for those reasons. So I would, I would sort of flip the question around and say, you know, um, can you afford to? Well, maybe we need to think about, you know, what's the cost, what's the opportunity cost if we don't? Yeah, I think I would agree with Alex. And I don't know if it needs to be as formal as 20%, uh, but that function has to continue and I'd say in, our, in, the, in your business, kind of at all stages, uh, and you know, I'd say for us, it, it's continued. It's not that everybody's spending 20% of their time, and realistically, it's more like Mike and I will naturally kind of, and it depends on somebody's personality. Both of us are kind of the type that you know, ideas sort of pop into your head randomly, and you just sort of think about them. And so I think our job as the leaders is of our company is to try to, again, cultivate this within our staff so that they have the flexibility to, if they have a cool idea, you know, noodle on it a bit or try something out. It can't, you know, become just like a, a, a you know, a total skunk works thing that takes over. But, you know, have people feel like they're, they have the freedom to, to work on that stuff because you do have to figure out what, what's coming next. Uh, otherwise, you're going to, you're going to stagnate, and and it's interesting because I've read I was reading about the 20% thing recently, you know, and I've worked in companies where we've tried this tried this uh, approach, but uh, and it isn't even a Google idea, and I I think it might be may have been 3M did it like in the 60s they they had I think it was 15% and it might it might not be 3M but it was like a kind of an old boring company from today's standards, even though they do lots of really cool stuff at, at 3M, but we don't think of it, it's, it's a big uh, a big behemoth. I love but post-it notes. <laughs> you know, uh, don't, don't underestimate the power of a post-it note. Again, mm -hmm. that was something that was created by accident. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, the glue mm -hmm. was, uh, you know. A failure. A failure. Yeah, yeah, something that glue that didn't stick. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it took someone to think, huh, there is a use for this. Yeah. And that, there's an element in there of going, that's innovation. Just applying something that may have been seen as completely useless and go, hold on, there is a need here. There is a need in an audience. We can apply this. And I think some of that, I think some of that is not necessarily, uh, you know, setting aside a certain, on a timesheet, a certain number of hours maybe per se, but it's creating a culture where, um, you have the breathing room, the mental breathing room, to, or intellectual breathing room, to spot something and go, oh, you know. And again, it, it sounds cliche, but it's all those things. That's a great example where we go, um, 
well, that, well, we tried this, that clearly didn't work. And, you know, we ball it up and throw it over our shoulder and come back and try again on Monday, right? But it's the, it's the approach where we can go, well, that clearly didn't work. Let's put that on the bulletin board and look at that again on Monday because it me uh, uh, yeah. let you know, and, and I think that's a culture thing. Maybe more than a, you know, let's spend this many hours a week um, innovating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I think it kind of speaks to research, like directed research and like applied research where you kind of know what you can do. That's great. But I think there's still something to be said for trying stuff out because, you know, just because you're, I think you might try to do that one thing but the most interesting things sort of happen by accident on the way to doing this mm -hmm. other thing. Mm -hmm. And you need to, I think, yeah, have the, have the culture so that people can recognize this. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, and, you know, different personalities again, but I think everyone can kind of tune their mind into recognizing, oh, that's neat, and they, they just happen to cross it by accident. We could use that maybe for this and, mm -hmm. and, and kind of get that excitement uh, without having a culture of seeing, you know, anything shiny coming along, causing uh, people to chase after it. But, you know, you, you got to have some element of that curiosity. And I think that's what, that's what drives Mike and, and me for sure is we're, curiosity. Things are interesting. So it's like something interesting. Oh, that's cool. So I think if people can uh, find interest in everything their day-to-day -day work it, it makes things go a lot smoother it makes things uh i think ultimately it makes for more success because ultimately you know there's there's a there's always things that you like doing things that you don't like doing in your day-to-day -day, but i think all you know really when you if you keep your mind open you can you can find interesting things in all aspects of of building products, even accounting, you can, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's all kind of just learning. And, and if people have kind of that thirst for that, and again, that's kind of, it's cliche, I know, but, but uh, I think it, it's true. Looking at the startup ecosystem that we have here in Saskatoon, do we have a benefit and advantage being in a smaller, close-knit network compared to uh, a location in a, a larger conurbation, a, a place with eight, nine million people? Um, I, I think there are benefits to it and disadvantages. You know, the benefit, a big benefit is that it's sort of like a team. So you, you've got a small community and everybody's sort of rooting for each other. Uh, and I think that causes some collaboration to happen between, between companies that, you know, they're, they're not worried about being competitors. We're all, we're all hoping for, wishing for the success of each other. But the, the downside, obviously, is the being in a small center, it's hard to find, at least, it's hard to find people. You know, there just aren't a lot of software developers that graduate every year. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's hard, to, hard to recruit people to here because it's a, a small place that nobody really outside of, uh, out of Canada knows much about. But I think the other, one other benefit to it is it's kind of off, because it's under the radar, you you can be uh, underestimated, and interesting things can will have come out of here, and will continue. And people don't really, you know, pay pay that much attention to be watching. And then, boom, you can come out of nowhere. And you know, within our small market, that's what we did. You know, we came out of nowhere, and and people had no idea what was coming. And I think that that's worked well for us because we we knew that there was a need for something in the market that that the incumbents weren't providing, and they certainly weren't 
looking at at Saskatoon as a as a, a place to look for on their SWOT analysis. I'm sure Sask mm -hmm. companies out of Saskatoon didn't come up. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, the idea that um, there are challenges presented by being in a small in a small ecosystem, a small center. Um, but I think they can be, as SWAT is a, is a good, you know, we can flip a lot of those into opportunities by identifying them. And talent is, is, is one of the number one um, items that we hear also, attracting talent. So, you know, what you can do when you, to attract talent and when you attract talent, um, and, and the, the point being that in a, in a, in a community like this, Costs, costs of doing business, costs of taxes, costs of um, living for people that you're that you're attracting. These are all um, really attractive propositions, um, but we need to be able to identify those challenges, those key challenges, and say how do we attack um, a talent challenge uh, while still maintaining the the advantages, like Ian says, the the kind of yeah, you're the underdog, you don't you. People don't don't see that coming. Um, you maybe have some margin that you can that you can work with that other competitors working in in a larger center uh, don't have. Um, the fact is that a lot of of businesses, especially what we're, we're talking about here in in technology, like Ian's business, you're in the heart of of, of the agricultural um, setting here in Canada. But um, there's no real reason why you couldn't do this from Saskatoon. Um, instead of a larger center, because a lot of this work we can do, we can do uh, from from anywhere. So uh, I think things like identifying those key challenges, like talent, like investment, um, having access to capital, uh, those are challenges that can be identified and can be specifically kind of isolated and addressed, um, and and maybe uh, you know complemented with the opportunities um, of of having just the, the size of the community, having the access to the networks. Again, the degrees of separation here, not only do people care more, you know, if, if I go out as an entrepreneur and say, I need a mentor in this area, people care more here, um, I think, uh, but th those degrees of separation are fewer. I'm, I'm more likely to be able to say, hey, Ian, I need someone who, I, I need a mentor in this area, and Ian will go, well, I don't know that that guy, but I know someone who does, right? Um, so that's the advantage of being in a smaller, in a smaller setting, and I think, um, you know, we don't want to lose that. I agree. And I'm glad that you agree as well. Um, Let's find one thing to disagree on. <laughs> <laughs> there must be a something. Before we depart, can you let the audience know how they can find out more about your organizations and where to find you online? Sure. So for, for us, uh, agrimatics.com uh, is, is our website, pretty easy to remember. And uh, we're active on Twitter and a, a bit on Facebook, too. Yeah, we're, our uh, Twitter handle is uh, U of S Innovates. And uh, we're at the University of Saskatchewan website. Thank you both so much for joining me. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca. Our show is produced by me, Mike Wolsfeld, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Learn more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartupvillePod. Don't forget to listen, subscribe, and review if you like the show. See you next time on Startupville.